Lewis, thank you very much for reading the scripture passage for us. Um, you did a great job. There's some tough words in there, and you nailed them. Well done. We are uh, continuing on a, on a short series uh, through Acts chapter 17, this, this story of Paul's encounter with the Athenians, uh, and we're we're looking at it to understand some principles of cultural engagement that will help us in our endeavors, in our attempts to speak to our non-Christian neighbors and friends and co-workers and colleagues, etc. Now, obviously, the culture that Paul spoke to is different from our culture. His culture was a very religious culture. Our culture uh, seems to be a very non-religious culture. Nevertheless, there are principles that are applicable in all times and in all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of places. And those are the things that we're unpacking week after week as we make our way through this passage. Last week, we talked about how when the gospel gets into you, what it does is, is it gives you new hearts, it gives you new eyes to love your culture. And that that's an important principle to remember. Uh, oftentimes, we can become so frustrated with what, we're ha- what we see happening in the culture, if you're a Christian. Uh, you see things happening in your culture that frustrate you, that, that upset you, that bother you uh, very s- deeply. And you think to yourself, oh, I just did, I'm so mad. I'm sick of it. I want out of here. Maybe you want to go buy a, a, a couple of hectares in a, in, in far up north in, in, uh, in the bush or something and live off the grid and, and just be by yourself. But when we understand that Jesus came into this world not to condemn the world, but to save the world because of his incredible love for the world, and when we understand the fact that we, at one time, were enemies of Christ ourselves, even if you grew up in a Christian home, there was a point at which you came to faith in Jesus. Maybe you were very, very young, but prior to that, you were an alien of the king, uh, to the kingdom of God. You were considered an enemy of God because you lived for yourself rather than you lived for Jesus. When, when, that, when that change comes over you and you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you love him above everything else, you also love the world in a new way. And so you can't just say, let them destroy themselves, let them burn, it's their own fault, it's their own problem, I'm turning my back on the world, and you go off and live in the bush somewhere. That was last week. This week, we're looking at another principle. Um, We're going to look at how not only do we need to love our culture, but we also need, in some ways, to respect our culture. It is not enough for us to simply look at the idols of the culture around us and see the things that the culture maybe values and say, and and begin to rail against those things. Because if we do that, we are not going to be heard, okay? Like take, for example, uh, an issue that is is very much in the news a lot right now and is uh, is on the minds of a lot of people right now, um, the issue of human sexuality and human identity. So we're talking... Uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, these kinds of issues. Now, uh, as a Christian, you may have a biblical understanding of these issues that are are rooted in Scripture, and you believe that they're very, very important, and and the culture may have a very radically different understanding of these issues than uh, 
uh, Scripture does. And I can get up here and I could rail against these, uh, these changes to uh, the way we understand these issues. And you can get on social media and you can find memes that make fun of the confusion that seems to be out there in the culture. And you can put them on your Instagram page or send them to your friends through Snapchat or, or put them on your wall in uh, in. Facebook or whatever, and you can feel very good and righteous about that yourself, but if you actually want to get a hearing with people who come from a cultural perspective, I promise you that that will not work. (laughs) That won't work. People aren't going to listen to us if we disdain uh, the very things that are important to them and the very perspective that they come from. We need to respect the culture that we're trying to reach. And in fact, there are good reasons to respect the culture that we're trying to reach. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. There's three things we're going to see. In order to respect the culture that we're trying to reach, we need to find common ground. We need to look for common ground between us and the perspective of the secular world in which we find ourselves. That's the first thing. Second of all, we need to understand the presuppositions behind the beliefs that our unbelieving friends and family and colleagues have. The presuppositions, the beliefs behind the beliefs. And then the third thing we need to do is we need to learn how to engage winsomely with those beliefs. So those are the three things we're going to look at. Let's look at them together very quickly. First of all, We need to find common ground. You'll notice that Paul says here, it says in verses 17 and 18, it says, So Paul reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So Paul is following a familiar pattern for him. This is what he often did when he went to a new city. He would find the synagogue and he would go there and he would meet the Jews there. And God-fearing Greeks, these were were Greeks who had kind of... converted to Judaism. These people knew the Old Testament. They knew the foundational documents of the Christian faith, and he would reason with them, it says. But then he would go to the marketplace, and he would reason with people who had no history and no understanding of the Christian faith at all. They didn't understand it in, in the very least. Paul would go literally to the marketplace of ideas, because in the marketplace in the city was where you had, of course, the vendors there, and they were opening their shops and, and selling their wares there, and that's where people went to gossip and talk about what was happening in the city. But it was also the place, literally, where ideas were bought and sold, where people went to kind of pursue persuade others of, uh, of their way of thinking. And Paul was just one of many people in that space sharing his position and his point of view. But here's the point. He went to their turf. He went to their turf. I'm not saying that, that we should street preach. Maybe we should. I don't know. I, 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 I'll admit I'm a little nervous about doing that myself. But I'm not arguing that we should go out and street preach. What I'm arguing is, is that Paul is showing us that a pattern we need to adopt if we care about our communities is, is we need to be involved in our communities. So you join a sports team or, or a sports league and you participate in the community sports league in order to get to know non-Christians and be uh, in relationship with them. You know, one of the things, frankly, that is an obstacle to a lot of Christians sharing their faith is the fact that they don't know very many non-Christians. They they maybe know them casually, but they don't have many relationships with non-Christians. 
friendships with non-Christians. But you can join the Rotary Club. I'm on the, the board of, the, of Dundas Community Services in order to, to, to broaden my relationship base with people in the community so that we may have opportunity to speak uh, gospel truth to them. We have to be part of that community. So this is what Paul does. And when he's out there, of course, he says uh, he's arguing that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He talks about the resurrection, and there's a, a group of philosophers there. Some are Epicureans, some are Stoics. Uh, these are different schools of philosophy. And they hear what Paul has to say, and they say, you know what, you need to come with us. You need to go talk to the, to the, to the council of elders of the city. These are the people at the Areopagus, also known as Mars Hill. And so Paul goes with them. And these people were the smart people who kind of ran the city. They were the, the city council. They were, I don't know, would you call them aldermen today? Uh, would you call them different councillors from different parts of the city of Hamilton, perhaps? Anyhow, they ran the city. Socrates, for example, he lost his life uh, uh, because of the judgment of this body for his heresy. Paul was, was, was speaking of Jesus and the resurrection, and it says in the text that it, they thought maybe he was advocating foreign gods. Perhaps he was preaching some kind of treason, or maybe it was blasphemy. In any case, uh, there's a danger to Paul opening his mouth in front of this group of people. And he's at the height of the academy. He's at the Harvard, at the, the Oxford University. He's at the Sorbonne of that day and age. And you know what? Some of what the Christian faith has to teach right now is pretty dangerous to share in public spaces, in places where the movers and shakers of our culture actually uh, congregate, newspapers, online media spaces, you share a biblical perspective and you might be charged with these kinds of, of things too. Blasphemy, it is blasphemy in our culture, for example, to hold to a biblical ethic around sexuality. It is blasphemy in our culture to hold to a biblical ethic around uh, right to life issues. It is blasphemy in some parts of our culture to hold on to these truths. And yet, Paul, he holds on to those truths. He declares them unabashedly and openly in his context. We need to be willing and able to do that too. So Paul is before them. He gets his chance. And in verse 23, it says, People of Athens... I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. See, what Paul does is, is he sees that his culture is very religious. They have lots of gods. They have this God even to an unknown God. He knows that they are deeply religious people and he uses that as the place where he begins his engagement with them. He finds common ground. He's a religious guy, they're a religious guy, people. And he uses that as a way of connecting with them. It's a point of contact with them. And there's a reason that that works as a point of contact because we are all, every human being is a religious person. Every person on this planet, whether you follow an institutional religion or not, you are a religious person. Because I'm not talking about a, a specific religious tradition here. I'm talking about religion in the most basic sense. Every human being. What is religion? What is your religion? Well, 
One way to look at it is this way. Every human being has a, a system of beliefs to explain who we are and where we came from, what life means, and what we're supposed to do with the few years that we have on this planet. Paul acknowledges this impulse in the people he's speaking to, and he actually appreciates that impulse. And he begins to engage them through that impulse. Now, if you love people, if we love people, we are going to find the things that matter to people in our culture, and we are going to find common ground with them. And I know last week I said that one of our problems is, is that people don't seem to care about religion all that much. You say to someone, you know, uh, what do you think? Do you believe in God? And they kind of go, hmm, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe not, but it doesn't really matter. It's kind of irrelevant to my life. And so maybe you may think to yourself, how do we find common ground with these people? Well, just because they don't believe or they don't care about religion doesn't mean they don't care about things. Doesn't mean that nothing's important to them. Think about things that are, that are very important to people right now. What are, what are ma major issues in people's lives right now? Well, one for sure is justice. You know, this past week, there's a horrible uh, revelation of 215 children's bodies at an indigenous residential school found in Kamloops, B.C. And it's an absolutely horrific, terrible part of Canada's history, the whole residential school system. And the more I've learned about it, and frankly, I, to my shame, I knew very little about it in my, my educational years because our educational system kind of hid the truth about those kinds of things in our, in our collective past. And the more I've learned about it, the more horrified I have become, as many have, about how Indigenous people were treated in generations past. And people, of course, are crying out for justice. They're saying something must be done, but how do you find justice? true justice that satisfies the aggrieved hearts in an issue like that? And, and how do people who, who are dealing with that, how do they find the, the, the strength to forgive, to, to let go, to be able to move past it and not, not carry the, the, the generational trauma and the baggage of that with them into the future? People are, are longing to find, biblical, uh, find answers to the question of justice. That's one. Another one is joy, contentment, happiness. Everybody wants to be happy, right? Everybody wants to, to, to find joy in their life. They want to find purpose and they want to find meaning in their life. They want their life to count for something. That's what makes it fulfilling. That matters to people. And people are struggling right now with the question of identity. Young people have had this perpetually through, throughout the years, but it's getting even increasingly heightened, a, 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 a height, it's becoming, sorry, a heightened issue among people more and more, and that is the question of who am I? And who should I be? This is a, a huge question. It is, it, is, it, is a, it is a question that goes to the very root of, of, our, uh, of our being to the point where you have people questioning their identity as it relates to their physical bodies. The entire uh, transgender question is, it hinges on this issue of identity. Who am I and who do I want to be? 
and coupled with that is the, the need to belong. We all want to be loved. We all want to have relationships. We all want to be cared for. You know, one of the things that frustrates me sometimes about how Christians talk about the issue of same-sex attraction is they, 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 they limit it simply to the question of, of sex. Like it's all about uh, a sexual intercourse and, and, and about uh, the, the physical pleasure side of it. But that's not what's at the root of it. What's at the root of it is this longing and this desire to be loved and to love. If we care about our culture, we will do the hard work of trying to find the common ground and respecting our culture's questions about these deep and profound existential issues that scripture speaks to in spades. But that's not enough, okay? <laughs> that's not enough. That's the first thing we got to do. Uh, but that's not enough. We, we have to go deeper. We have to understand the presuppositions, the beliefs behind the beliefs uh, that people have. Because it's all well and good for Paul here to go to the Athenians and say, you are very religious. I noticed that. But if you want to speak to the hearts, if he wants to speak to the hearts and capture the minds of the people, he needs to understand the belief behind their religious belief. Here's the question that needs to be asked. Why do the Athenians have a statue to an unknown God? What was the purpose of this statue for an unknown God? What purpose did it serve? And you might say, well, it's obvious because they were so religious. Yes, they were so religious. But why was their religion expressed this way? By having a statue to an unknown God. And the answer to that is, is that the Athenians practice what one theologian likes to call wild card theology. And what he meant by that was this. Um, the Athenians were polytheists, meaning they believed in many different gods, and those different gods had different jurisdictions and things that they were sort of in charge of, and uh, because they had so many gods, the, the Athenians wanted to make sure that they didn't forget any. They all had their different powers and their different, uh, their different jurisdictions, and, and, and if you missed a god, you, excuse me, you were in danger of actually offending that god, and then they might cause trouble for you, Right? They might mess up your life. They might come down from Mount Olympus or wherever and, and uh, kind of punish you for ignoring them. And they didn't want that. We'll talk more about this next week as we get into Paul's uh, uh, sermon, so to speak, that he preaches on Mars Hill. But for now, understand this. There's a, pres a presupposition behind their religion, and it's this. If you give the gods their due... If you treat them properly, if you respect them, if you, if you do what they want you to do, give them the sacrifices that they want, etc., then they will bless you. If you follow the rules, if you play by their rules and you do things right, you will other, essentially get the life that you want. And if not, if you don't, well, then they'll punish you. They'll make your life hard. And so... Essentially, what they wanted to do was, was they wanted to, even though the, 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 the gods were the ones who set the ground rules for how the relationship was supposed to run, what they wanted to do was what they, they wanted to put the gods in their debt. If they fulfilled the expectations that the gods had for them, then the gods would be required. They would be, they would be beholden to you to, and, and answer your prayers and give you the things that you want. And so they have this altar to an unknown god in order to cover all their bases. 
Now, every world religion outside of the Christian uh, faith essentially operates on this principle. And including, shh, including, (laughs) sorry, including unbelievers. Like, if you're not a Christian, you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, I can see how religions work that way, but I'm not a Christian. I don't have any God that I'm worshiping. You operate that way too. You say, well, I believe in myself. Fine. You have your own set of rules for yourself. You have your own beliefs about how life should go. And if you do the things that you ought to do, if you follow your rules, then you should be happy. So you think, well, if I get the right job, if I work hard at the right job and I'm successful, I'll, I'll have a happy life. If I can buy that car or if I can uh, meet that woman or that man, if I can uh, have that kind of family, I will have a a happy and contented life. And so I do the things that should get me those things. And then if those things don't come to me, then I'm furious and I'm upset. It's not that different from the Athenians. See, there's beliefs underneath our beliefs. Here's, Here's a way of kind of understanding this. You know how... You know how a computer has the applications that you use and it also has the operating system, right? So if you're on a Windows, Windows runs the computer, but then you, you click on Microsoft Word and you use Microsoft Word. Windows is the thing that makes Microsoft Word run. Or if you have an Apple, you have, you know, you have, I don't know, I'm getting an update every two weeks on it, so I don't know if I have Big Sur or Catalina or whatever. That's the operating system, but the apps that I use are the things that I open, like Pages or uh, uh, whatever, a spreadsheet or something like that. You see the application that you use, but the operating system behind it makes the application possible. What we need to see, friends, are the presuppositions behind the articulated beliefs that people have. I believe that everyone should be free to choose who they love. What's the belief behind that? I believe that taxes should be low. Well, what's the belief behind that? What's the presupposition behind that? So Paul, not only does he respect his culture by finding common ground with them, but he also respects his culture by understanding the presuppositions, the beliefs behind the beliefs that drive the articulated beliefs. Third thing, once you do that, hopefully what you can do is you can kind of engage your culture winsomely. You know, Paul, he shows up at the Areopagus and he doesn't look around and say to, the, to these smart people, you know, you got a lot of stupid idols around here, <laughs> right? He could have, I suppose. He could have gone in guns blazing and very direct like that. No, he doesn't belittle them or their religion. In fact, he goes on to uh, use their own religious insights as part of his presentation. So in verse 28, for example, it says, um, this wasn't part of our reading, but it is in the text. It says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. Paul cites a philosopher and a poet in his presentation, in the argument he's making. So he's showing them that he understands their culture and their cultural artifacts. And he shows deep respect for the cultural insights that he 
discovers, and this is called, in the Reformed community, we call this the doctrine of common grace. All truth is God's truth. God's truth can be discovered not just by believers, but by unbelievers as well. And when that truth is found by unbelievers, we acknowledge that and we, we accept that and we celebrate that. You see, one of the things we need to do as believers today, friends, is we need to learn to communicate in our culture as what you call minoritarians, minoritarians, because you see, for a long time, our culture, this culture, was a so-called Christian culture. I'm not saying everybody was Christian, but what I am saying is that the, the values that informed much of our collective cultural behavior, the way we structured our society, was informed by the Judeo-Christian tradition. And I've mentioned this book by Tom Holland many times, Dominion. If you don't believe me, read that book. Uh, he demonstrates very clearly that that is the case. And, and so we, as Christians, we have been kind of part of the majority. And when you know when you're part of the majority, you're not necessarily as polite, hey? You, you maybe don't mind your manners the same way. I admit, you know, when I'm in my own house, I probably don't have the same table manners I would have when I came over to your house and ate dinner with you. I might not sit as straight in my chair, or maybe I, I eat a little faster than I should, or, or, or maybe I take too much food in a, in a serving or something like that. But when I'm in your house, I think about where I am, and I think, well, how do I conduct myself in a way that is not off-putting? And frankly, friends, there are some voices out there in the Christian community that are sounding pretty shrill and pretty angry and pretty dis disrespectful uh, of the people that they disagree with. I, I see stuff sometimes on Facebook about, you know, comments about uh, government and, and how they're run by Christians or, or different uh, positions around how COVID is being handled. And I think to myself, how is this a Christian witness? Yeah, you can disagree and you can disagree vehemently. We're going to see the Apostle Paul does that too. But you don't have to do it with disrespect. You don't have to do it with disdain. We need to learn to share the gospel message in a gospel manner. Because that's what shows how the gospel has gotten into us. You see, if we really care about people, if we really care about the gospel, if we really care about people hearing what we say, we will care very, very much about how we say it. Doesn't mean that we're not truthful. You can be winsome and you can be truthful. Look at Paul in, in verse 22. He says, I see you have a, an, an altar with an inscription to an unknown God, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Notice, Paul is not shy here. He's in the company of the learned, right? He's in the space with, with the, the, the brilliant people of the day, and he basically calls them on their ignorance. <laughs> we'll talk more about that next week. But realize now, if we're going to win a hearing in our culture, we need to learn to respect our culture. Look at our Savior Look at our Savior. There's a place in, in Peter where, where the Apostle Peter says this. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to what he says. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Listen to this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Listen, Jesus was reviled and he reviled not. Jesus was insulted and he did not insult. And Peter is the same way because you see, it says, uh, it says up in verse 18, uh, very interesting, it says that... Uh, uh, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? That was a slur, an intellectual slur. You know how, how Eugene Peterson in, uh, in the message translate this, his parable of the, uh, or his paraphrase of the Bible? He translates this phrase as, what a moron. They called him a moron because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And listen, friends, you will, you will be called a moron. There will be people who say, what a babbler, you're, what, a, what a fool, what kind of silliness you're bringing up as, as you in the modern Western culture we find ourselves of the 21st century, you're still talking about these ancient uh, 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 religious traditions that are, that are so silly and, and we should have outgrown them. That's going to happen to you. If we do not respond in kind, we, we do the same thing our Savior Jesus did. We suffer in order that some might be one to the faith. Let me close with just a, a little story that I heard about uh, a pastor who, he, he grew up in a Christian home, but he, he wandered from the faith. He left the faith of his family and his upbringing, and, and uh, he kind of became an unbeliever, or lived as an unbeliever for years during his university, university career. So he's kind of off the rails. And during that period of time, uh, or actually it was while he was in the Navy that this was happening. He was an American. And while that was happening, his older brother was uh, in medical school, uh, learning to become a doctor, and he was a believer. And he had all kinds of, of pressure um, to, uh, to succeed in this very rigorous program. But while he was there, he took the time to find out what his younger brother, who had kind of wandered from the faith, he took the time to find out what that younger brother was, uh, was reading. And he found everything that his brother read, and he read those things. And then when he would meet with his brother and hang out with his brother or talk to him on the phone, he would say to him, he'd say, yeah, you know, I was reading this in this book, and I noticed that it said this, and, and what, what do you think of that? And he would bring this up. And the younger brother said, you know, this, this older brother of mine, he respected my intelligence, and he engaged with what mattered to me. And so as we did that, I, I was willing to listen and hear what he had to say in response to what I was reading. And through that process, by God's grace, I, I came back to my Savior, Jesus. Friends, it's not, a, it's not a, a one and done kind of thing. It's not like a formula that we can just employ. And if we, if we check off the boxes and we do all the right things, then the output will be, hey, people will hear the gospel and, and respond to it. No. There is mystery here because it is only the Holy Spirit who can ultimately turn hearts to Jesus. But, but we as ambassadors of Christ, we have a role to play. And that role means find that common ground. Look for the presuppositions behind the beliefs that our friends have and then engage with them winsomely. Not judgmentally, not angrily but with a posture of grace, just like our Savior Jesus, who has a posture of grace with us. Let's pray. Father.
Teach us to uh, follow your will. Teach us to uh, seek to be like Christ in the way that we engage our brothers and sisters. Father, through reading, through um, talking and asking good questions, uh, we can understand the beliefs that, that are held deeply by those we love who don't know you. And as we do that, we pray that we will be able to respond to them uh, with your word and with the truth of the gospel in a way that, that penetrates hard hearts and eyes to the wonder of Jesus, our Savior, our friend, our Lord, our King, and the one in whose name we pray. Amen.